0: From runasradio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell and Greg Hughes. This is Carl Franklin introducing show number 50 with guests Danielle and Nelson Rouet, recorded March 13th, 2008. Run As Radio is brought to you each week by PWOP Productions. Providing professional media and podcasting services online at pwop.com. You're listening to Run As Radio. I'm your host, Richard Campbell. With me as always, Greg Hughes.
1: Hey, Richard. How are you? Show, Show number, number
0: 58. Five zero. Ah, uh, congratulations! Hey,
1: that sort of feels like a landmark, doesn't it?
0: It is a landmark. A lot, a lot of podcasts make it to fifty shows.
1: It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, it's a-
0: been a good year. I have no complaints.
1: We've covered an awful lot of uh, territory and uh, run the bases a number of times. So uh, definitely some real interesting things. And, you know, we have a whole list of really interesting shows and a lot of great requests from, from listeners for show ideas that we're working on right now. Uh, a lot of good stuff still coming up. And it's really a pretty exciting year for IT.
0: Oh, absolutely. With Server 2008 out, out in the world now, it's a, it's going to be a good year. Very exciting stuff.
1: Really looking forward to it.
0: And like Greg was saying, we have gotten some emails lately about uh, creating new shows, and we're working on them. We'll bring up those emails as we get those shows in line. If you've got an idea for a show or some questions or comments or complaints, send us an email, info at runasradio.com.
1: Your, your input is what drives this show.
0: All right, Greg, let's introduce our guest. Danielle Rue is passionate about helping people make the most of computer technology. She is a senior enterprise workflow architect and consultant with over 20 years' experience in project implementations. Her customers include governments and private enterprises of all sizes. She is familiar with most components of Microsoft Windows Server, and in addition, one of her best talents is communications through illustration, portraying complex concepts graphically, and therefore facilitating the understanding of these concepts. She is a Microsoft MVP for the Virtual Machine product line. And our other guest is Nelson Rouet, passionate about doing things right with Microsoft technologies. He is a senior IT architect with over 25 years experience in migration planning and network infrastructure design. He was one of Canada's first Microsoft-certified systems engineers and a Microsoft-certified trainer. He's also taken part in numerous migration projects. His network designs have benefited more than 500,000 users in various organizations. His clients include government, private industry, healthcare, and much more. He's also a Microsoft MVP for the Windows Server product line. So we've got a couple on the show today. They're related? Or are you like brother and sister? Just make this clear.
2: Uh, no, we're, we're considered a couple. Okay.
0: Yeah. <laughs> So, a pair of IT pros married to each other. Nothing good can come of this. How do you guys argue? Does it involve a network diagram?
2: <laughs> Very good question. Uh, we don't argue. Ah, right? there you we, go. We, uh, we spend all our time together. We do everything together. It's, uh, it's... We
3: always agree on everything. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and then, and then it, that, that's what's exciting is because since we always agree, we're always both right.
0: <laughs> uh, very nice. Okay, huh. I get that. So th- the topic of the day is virtualization. I think that's actually Danielle's area of expertise.
3: Exactly, you're
0: right. Just in case we're not sure who's leading here.
3: And what is exciting about virtualization today? Everything is exciting. I mean, like, today we have, there are actually four different types of uh, virtualization. Server, desktop, application, presentation.
2: That's right. All, all of these different types of virtualization. Well, lots of people are already very familiar with presentation virtualization. It's really nothing much more than terminal services. Right. Um, but uh, the other types of virtualizations are really exciting. Lot, there's been a lot of noise in the industry in the last few couple of years. We would even say that last year was the year for server virtualization. 2007 was definitely the year where server virtualization was put on the map. And this is this is taking a physical instance of a server and turning it into a workload on top of another physical server. Uh, and when you're doing that, you can actually run up to, uh, on average, our customers run between 15 and 20 different workloads on the same physical server. So that means that uh, you, you've got a consolidation ratio for, uh, that, that is at least 10 to 1, and in some cases, it's up to 20 to 1. Just think about it. The, the amount of space that you're saving in your, uh, in your data center is just uh, very, very exciting.
0: And, and with all the consequences therein, the densification of servers, of course, increasing power loads in, in a given rack. And, I mean, there's pluses and minuses to this. But one area I really wanted to chase down here is, uh, granted, last year was a great year for virtualization. But it's this year that we're finally getting Hyper-V. And I wonder how much of an impact that's going to have, uh, considering how far we've already come with products like VMware and Zen. Look, it, to me, it really feels like Microsoft's finally got their act together with Windows 2008 and, uh, and Hyper-V. Well,
3: yeah, I, mean, I mean, we don't have Hyper-V yet because uh, it's not delivered with uh, Windows 2008 yet. It's still in mean, yeah. right. think Yeah, that would be very exciting that the product is really... Uh,
2: Really solid. And,
3: Absolutely.
2: Yeah, we, we just received a new beta of it. Uh, well, Danielle actually just received a new beta of it uh, this week, and uh, uh, it's, a, it's a really powerful platform. It, it doesn't have all of the features that its competitors have. One, one very, very big feature that all the competitors, then and uh, well, Citrix, Zen Server, and uh, yes. VMware ESX Server both have, is the ability to to move a workload from one uh, or a virtual machine from one physical server to another while that virtual machine is running. Uh, the, the Hyper-V in the first iteration will not be able to do that, but that's, that's just a minimal, you know, it, not everybody uses that. of all the people that have uh, ESX server or a Zen server, um, maybe 20%, 25% of their customers actually use that. So, so there's no doubt Hyper-V will be a very powerful platform for organizations to move to virtualization. And the fact that, that it's in the operating system exactly. and, and it's basically free, it's $28 okay. per, per physical machine. Well,
3: they will have the chance to work with it. Yeah, that. it will
2: democratize the concept yeah. of server virtualization. And, you know, everybody, small businesses, medium businesses, all the ones that have been that have been holding back on the concept of server virtualization, will now be able to afford it and get into it. Uh, that will mean that they'll have to change the way that they're looking at hardware. Uh, we're, we're just in the process of doing that, in fact. Uh,
3: exactly. We have uh, we have a five-serve bug and we want uh, to change that to two-blade systems.
2: Yeah, that are using they, shared storage.
3: Exactly.
2: Yeah. So we'll have this two-blade system, that will provide high availability for one another and uh, we'll load all our, our physical servers onto these two-blade systems, uh, virtualize them all, and um, so we'll have one server footprint as opposed to the five physical servers that we have right now. Well, of course, we're a small shop, but there's only two people in this this office.
0: So. Well, and... I'm, I think this is very interesting to me because I think most folks look at virtualization as a big operation. I really like the idea of what the small shop's going to look like with a virtualized environment. And, and I, I guess I've sort of got to the same place where I want two servers, a shared block of storage, probably iSCSI because it's relatively inexpensive.
2: Yeah, absolutely. is is definitely the way to go because you you use a network card to address your shared storage. Right. Of course, you need to have shared storage in order to be able to provide high availability. When you think about it, you've got five servers or more that are going to be transformed into virtual machines all running on the same physical server. If that one physical server goes down... Everything breaks. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you need to be able to make sure that if something happens, it will automatically be moved over to the other physical server that you've got on your in your network so that your services are going to continue running. So that's mm-hmm. why you need shared storage, so that the two servers can address the same storage unit and take over a workload or another on an as-need basis. So, you know, Microsoft, we, we mentioned that this... this capability of doing of the movement of a virtual machine while it's running. Microsoft has a capability like that, but it has to save the state or hibernate the virtual machine while it moves it over from one to the other. So we, we would
0: a have a hot simple. failover, right? We would have a hot failover in the sense that it would happen automatically, but there'd be a few minutes of downtime in the process.
2: Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, less, it's less than a minute downtime, actually. If you've got high-speed storage, uh, It's really fast. It's the same feature that you have when you're using a failover cluster today. Right. Uh, If somebody's running Exchange on a failover cluster and there's an event that causes a failover, they have about a 30-second, one-minute window of loss of service uh, when they're doing that. So it's exactly the same type of situation. But what's really cool is HP, for example, has, uh, has this new... Platform that is called a C3000. It's a blade server enclosure and it, and you can put both the the servers and the storage inside the same enclosure. And that's what small businesses are going to want to to look to and in the future because, you know, they'll want, they want to have this, this one simple unit that has everything that they need and that can run all the virtual machines that they need to run uh, in a high availability scenario.
3: All in one box.
2: An all-in-one box, an all-in-one server. That's that We've been we've been announcing that for the last year and a half, that they, these all-in-one boxes were going to be coming out, and lo and behold, they're available now.
0: And it's interesting to look at it that way as a Blade server, because normally when I think of Blade servers, I think about trying to get 10 PCs in the space of 8, rather than I just want 2 PCs sharing a chassis.
2: Exactly. Yeah, yeah. well, the... the This, we, we saw one in Vancouver actually when the, when when Microsoft did the Windows Server 2008 launch last week. And this one, uh, C3000 HP blade system had, uh, it had four blade servers, x86, or x64 blade servers in it. It had two Itanium blade servers inside it. That's another 64-bit platform, but completely different architecture. That's the first time that we've ever seen two different completely different architectures in the same blade server and our blade enclosure and then it had multiple storage bays that were all in the same enclosure at the same time very very impressive little box and really the quiet the too the price is uh, and the very, price is very affordable yeah. too i'm
0: i'm just trying to figure out how much horsepower we need to make this work properly <laughs> Uh, well, and maybe we need to define a bit of what a basic set of servers would look like to a small business. So are we talking, I mean, obviously some kind of file server, a domain controller? Uh,
2: mm-hmm. two, two domain controllers don't is our recommendation.
0: Right. Uh, exchange?
2: Uh, well, it depends, you know. Really small businesses should probably outsource their exchange right. and uh, SharePoint sites. That way you don't even have to manage them. You just, You just have to use them. Uh, it's much simpler to do it that way, but I would say medium organizations would probably have their own exchange, right. their own SharePoint. Uh, whenever you host your own exchange, you've got the added complexity of having to open up your internal network to the outside world so that you can you can use a Windows mobile device to get your email uh, or a RIM uh, uh, Blackberry so that you can get your email while you're on the go and so forth. So. Uh, That adds a a certain level of complexity. When when you're using a hosted service, you have all those services anyway, and you don't need to deal with the complexity of managing it.
0: So we're really talking the true small business scenario, which is what used to be a single server, just the thing that did the file server and some authentication and very little else, maybe some printing services, now makes sense to buy one of these small chassis, run a pair of blades in it so you have some redundancy, a little shared storage, all in one box, and everything's virtualized
2: absolutely, because you know a real small business, depending on the nature of the small business they'll also need uh, something like an accounting uh, package or a uh, customer relationship management tool, so that they can have uh, more information about their the, their customers and so forth. Those things, those workloads are ideal workloads for putting on a virtual uh, infrastructure. Do,
0: do you see the ability to utilize both blades effectively? So can I have a couple of the services running on one of the blades and a couple of services running on the other blades, and they can fail over to each other?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a very, very good scenario, and that's, that's the ideal scenario, because you're you're using resources from each one of your two servers at the same time. But you have to make sure that your server's capabilities are are such that if something happens, they can run all the workloads on one single server. So that means, yes, I'll have maybe two blades with four gigs of RAM inside each one of the blades, two gigs of RAM that are going to be used for the workloads that are running on that blade server, and the other two gigs of RAM has to be reserved or a failover of the uh, of the other blade.
0: Got to leave enough headroom in there to take everything over. Absolutely. And, and we ran into the same thing with active-active clusters with SQL Server. That sure we'd actually gotten both servers working and 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 doing work, so it didn't feel like you were wasting gear. But in a failover scenario, the one server could not bear up under the load.
2: Well, then that, that was a misconfigured cluster.
0: Right. You, you have uh, to make sure you leave yourself enough headroom. And, and, of course, the challenge then is the IT discipline to say just because the system's still running well in the working active-active cluster doesn't mean it has enough headroom to survive the uh, the failover scenario as load increases over time.
2: Yeah. And the, the headroom you really need is, uh, is, is in terms of memory because... Today, you're getting processors that are multi-core processors, and uh, those those processors have a lot of power. We ran this tool. Microsoft has this really cool tool that everybody should get, uh, and it's free. Download. It's called the Microsoft Assessment and Planning Tool, and um, it's MAPS, Microsoft Assessment and Planning Solution. Uh, It's a really small little tool. You load it up on a workstation. You, You have to have administrative rights to all of your computers, but... It provides you with an analysis of what's going on inside your network uh, in terms of virtualizing your server workloads as well as virtualizing the applications that you're running on uh, your desktops. So, I want to talk about that, or we'll want to yeah. talk about that a little bit more uh, in a bit. But But Maps, we ran Maps in our environment, and... We have one server that is our main domain controller that runs DHCP and our file and print, ser- well, file services, and it was running at less than 0.98% utilization, and uh, we have another server, which is our backup domain controller, or second, dom- secondary domain controller, and it, it was running at less than half a percent utilization, so we're thinking, yeah, those are pretty good candidates for virtualization, I'd
0: yeah. say. Often, uh, when we talk about small businesses, we're in a scenario where we have some existing infrastructure. It's probably fairly elderly because it, it was working. I, I'm thinking about a customer who's still had an NT4 server, clunking away, running as a PDC, and nothing really wrong, but they, they feel like that's going to die one of these days and we don't know what we're going to do. Uh, what are the exactly. scenarios that a small business has to take that server and roll it into a virtual environment?
1: Yeah, from from physical well, to virtual. That, that's actually
2: one of the very, very best scenarios that, that you pointed out, Richard, about this concept of, uh, uh, of organizations, especially organizations that are running really old workloads like that. Uh, today, you try to install Windows NT on a new server and it's, it's really hard because you basically have to dumb down the hardware so that you can actually uh, put the uh, or install Windows NT on there. But think about it: you install Windows NT in a virtual machine, and then that becomes the disk drives for that virtual machine become nothing, nothing more than files on a on a server somewhere. You need another copy of that machine. You just copy those files. Bang! You've got a new new installation of Windows NT. Not more. Complicated, not more difficult than that, uh, and it's it's really easy to back up. It's okay. really easy to restore. It's really easy to recover. Um, and you can actually also turn in your your equipment, your old equipment. You can trade it in for a new server. The all all the organizations, Dell, HP, uh, uh, IBM, they all have trade-in programs so that you can. Yeah, Break properly and, uh, dispose of the technology mm-hmm. as you're getting rid of it. Um,
3: and the new server from HP at uh, the C3000, uh, they uh, they don't use that. Uh, we use
2: uh, Oh yeah, uh, we uh, use 220 volts on one of our big servers downstairs, and and the new blade system from HP uses 110, so it plugs into any yeah. infrastructure. So it, it's it's really really cool technology.
3: And uh, BCI do offer offers. Uh, Rebate for uh, if you virtualize your uh, that's background. right
2: BC Hydro is in the process of uh, of putting together a, a rebate program under the PowerSmart banner that will allow organizations to have really significant rebates. Now, of course, BC Hydro's rebate is not available to small or medium business mm-hmm. because you have to spend at least two hundred thousand dollars in power every year. Uh, but any organization in that situation can get a significant amount of uh, of uh, return on investment from BC Hydro when they think about moving that uh, They have uh, a very very powerful program um, they, they'll pay for consulting services if you use a uh, a certified consultant by, by for power smart they'll uh, they'll pay um, up to 40% of the cost of your infrastructure when you're moving to a a new uh, power intelligent infrastructure. So your project pretty well pays for itself.
0: Sure. Of course, the key to being able to take advantage of that is being in British Columbia in the first place. (laughs) So, I mean, there's a point to be made here that power companies all over the world are recognizing that Server infrastructures consume a substantial amount of power, and there are opportunities to work with them to upgrade your equipment to more power-efficient stuff that will ultimately save you money. That, you
3: absolutely correct.
2: right. It, it actually started with uh, Pacific Gas and Electric in Northern California. They were the first ones to offer a program. Uh, their program offered up to $4 million per site in terms of uh, cost reductions, uh, and, uh, and, and we have to say it's been, it's VMware actually that, that has worked the most with these utilities to, to, to provide these programs, uh, and that have been pushing, you know, uh, the utility companies to cut, cut costs. There's also, uh, governmental programs, uh, in, in the U.S. and in Canada. You can get reductions on your, uh, income tax, uh, w- Wisconsin State, for example, will give you up to 1% reduction in your income tax for your corporate income tax if you perform a virtualization program. So there's there's lots of opportunities. And, and But the thing, the key to each one of those programs, you absolutely have to get an assessment by the organization that's going to give you the program before you commit... To making the changes, is so that's that's
0: a very very important aspect. and an interesting point to make that they got to do that in advance. But it really goes to speaking to this concept that virtualization technologies are helping to support greening of IT infrastructure.
2: There's no doubt about that. They 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 go hand in hand, and the, and the the biggest impact in a green data center is server consolidation through virtualization. That's the biggest one. But there's a whole series of other things. You can use solar power. You can use recycled heat from your environment to, to generate more power. Uh, you, they're, they're, you can use new cooling systems. You can use green, uh, green technologies inside your data center. There's a lot of different aspects to greening your data center, and uh, virtualization is just the first step, really. Yeah, yeah we're doing a
3: tour, a 10-city tour uh, in USA, on uh, virtualization, and people does not know. They, they use uh, virtualization, but they don't know very much on virtualization. Very uh, surprising.
2: It, it is. You're right. It's very surprising. People, throughout this tour, we did 13 cities last year, and we're doing 10 more cities this year. And throughout this tour, we've discovered uh, that lots of people use virtualization, but you know, many people don't really understand the complete impact it's. Everything in your data center is going to be completely different now. Uh, we actually, we just finished a book uh, called uh, Windows Server 2008, The Complete Reference, which uh, just came out uh, before the launch, actually. And uh, this, this, this book is all about how you transform your IT infrastructure so that you'll have hardware resources, we call them resource pools, and uh virtual workloads which are we call virtual service offerings and and you make that division inside when you deploy your new technologies so that you can uh, you can have hardware now becomes just another resource and and you don't really care where your virtual workload is going to be running whether it's on server A or server B or server D who cares so long as it's running all the time but because there's movement of your machines from one location to the other it becomes, um, it's a completely different model for management. Uh, And uh, people have to think about that and have to think about the impact of that.
3: Yeah, it's a new infrastructure. Like, when you you put your infrastructure in place, you you have to do the same with uh, virtualization. You have to think about (laughs) what you will do. But another thing interesting in virtualization is application virtualization. That's really
2: true. We... We think last year was really the year of server virtualization because everybody made a commitment to it. Uh, there are tons of different companies that came out with their new server virtualization technologies. Microsoft wasn't the only one to make that commitment. Um, but application virtualization is going to be in 2008. People are going to start understanding that all of the, the woes that people are facing whenever they're trying to deploy applications and manage applications on desktops, on distributed systems, all of those go away as soon as you virtualize an application. It's, It's a phenomenal technology because you take an application and instead of capturing the installation of the application, what everybody does through the Windows installer service, you capture the running state of that application. So it becomes an executable that is copyable. To any computer system. In order to get the application to run, you only need to do an X copy from one system to the other. You don't need administrative rights. You don't need. um, uh, You you can run as a standard user. You can get this application. It's automatically put on your machine. It uses streaming technology, the same as video streaming or the same as radio streaming that people are using now to send out the information. Enough information. As soon as you get enough information, the application starts and then the rest of the information is streamed in the background. And once you virtualize an application, it runs on any version of Windows, Windows NT all the way up to Windows Vista, because it's the virtualization layer that makes it work with those operating systems. You never need to perform a compatibility analysis ever again to make sure that the application is going to run from one environment to the other. And... So, so, so today, everybody who's looking at moving to Vista, for example, is, is, is worried about it because yeah. they think, oh wow, it was so much work when we moved to XP, we had to package all these applications and it, we had so many issues and it took so much time and so much effort. But if they do it now, if they package them as virtual applications, they only have to do it once. They'll never have to do it again. When, when Windows 7 comes out, they'll just, Operating. update their virtualization layer on the on the operating system and just move the applications no no extra work required Very, Very very yeah, that, model
1: that's a that's a very powerful technology for people who are interested in getting getting you know a, a real high level of detail we actually had a chat with Chad Jones who's uh, over over at Microsoft and he went into great detail about application virtualization.
2: That's SoftGrid, uh, and Chad came from SoftGrid, uh, as well as uh, David Greshler, who uh, wrote the foreword for her, her book, by the way, uh, and, yep. <laughs> uh, and they, it's been a really good acquisition for them. Uh,
3: like uh, VMware, they just uh, acquired, uh, acquired, acquired, acquired uh, um, installed.
2: Install. That's true. That's also a very good technology for application virtualizing. Whichever technology people use, it, it's, it's amazing. In addition, when Microsoft acquired SoftGrid, SoftGrid was selling for $200 per desktop, and Microsoft packaged it with a whole bunch of other technologies that are available at $9 a desktop. That's a phenomenal (laughs) price drop, and and it's a no-brainer. Of course, you have to get a software assurance agreement in place Mm -hmm. to get that, but uh, it's definitely something that every organization should look to. Uh, Application virtualization is the hot ticket for 2008.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah, it's definitely an enabling technology for businesses of all sizes that can easily take advantage of it. I'd like to step back to, to machine virtualization, if you will, and, and specifically on the server side. We've, we've talked about data centers and sort of, uh, largers and large, medium, and small infrastructure. Um, So I I used virtualization for a very specific purpose once, and I'm just kind of curious if you've had any experience with other other people that you've worked with, and that is when you have environments that maybe you don't have to run very often, but you have a lot of different types of things, say in a test environment or a development environment, where you need to be able to very quickly and be very agile and flexible in terms of what's running. You want to minimize the actual infrastructure costs to build, but you need to be able to run lots and lots of different machines at different times.
2: Absolutely, uh, well, for, I'll give you an example. We, we wrote five books last year. Uh, two books on Vista, one book on Active, uh, on Windows Server 2008, Active Directory, yes, uh, one book on Exchange 2007, and of course a book on building a whole infrastructure with Windows Server 2008, the complete reference. So, to, in order to support these books, we have over a hundred virtual machines that are playing different roles inside our um, inside each one of the the scenarios that we put together for these uh, these books. Now, of course, all these hundred virtual machines don't don't run at the same time. Uh, many of them are parked for for extended periods of time. But uh, the ability to have uh, these machines in a virtualized environment that you can turn off and turn off, pause and start, restart, and uh, and create pretty well any environment. Uh, you can even create, uh, simulate, uh, remote sites through virtual machines using, uh, uh, Windows Server's routing and remote access capabilities. Uh, so, so you can simulate, uh, low bandwidth by, by creating, uh, uh, small, um, uh, network interface cards that are using only 10 megabits per second instead of 1 gigabit per second. So you can, you can really simulate pretty well anything you want with virtualization and for testers and developers, it's it's a phenomenal benefit. Uh, you need to have, of course, if you're working with Microsoft technologies, you absolutely need to have something like a, a Microsoft uh, Software Developer Network license or a TechNet license that gives you lots of different licenses for the various technologies so you can test them out. Um, but that's, that's a minor cost compared to the cost of actually buying all of these yeah. products. But
3: uh, you have to be careful. You don't want to have uh, proliferation of virtual machines <laughs> That's exactly the right. project of uh, consolidation
2: of virtual machines. That's a really common issue, yeah. uh, and and I, actually the, the, we call it VM sprawl. There's there's two 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 types of VM sprawl. The first one is when you do a consolidation project and you and you end up with more machines that you had before. You, you know, so let's say you have a hundred physical servers. And you're going to consolidate them by putting 10 virtual machines on each one of the servers. That cuts you down to 10 physical servers. But you, you have to virtualize that whole 100 machines. And you now have 10 new machines that play a new role that is the hypervisor role or the, the, the virtualization role. So you're, at the end of the project, you have 110 machines to manage. So <laughs> there's not really a lot of consolidation. There's lots of physical consolidation, mm-hmm. but not, no server consolidation mm-hmm. in there. Uh, and then there's also the, server, the VM sprawl of um, people who have administrative rights to their PCs in any network. Anybody who's got administrative rights to their PCs, they can download and install free virtualization technologies. VMware server is free. Uh, virtual server from Microsoft is free. Virtual PC is free. So anybody can download this technology and start building virtual machines, unauthorized virtual machines inside your network, uh, We had a customer in uh, in Quebec uh, several years ago that had uh, somebody build an unauthorized Linux virtual machine, and that Linux virtual machine had a whole bunch of open ports. It was taken over by a spammer from somewhere, uh, and that spammer started using it to send off a whole bunch of emails to uh, somebody in the U.K., so many you emails that it shut down the email server the whole ISPs email server was shut down they were pretty upset about that
1: yeah I imagine so yeah
2: so you have to keep an eye on these rogue virtual
0: machines uh,
1: uh, what about um, any time really that you would want to avoid buying or otherwise acquiring hardware maybe even for temporary uses I'm thinking about infrastructure rollouts and pretest environments for you know if you're going to roll out maybe you're going to migrate to windows server 2008 and you want to build build a test environment it seems like another great opportunity to leverage virtual machines even if it's not a permanent install but you could use it in order to really manage your risk
2: that's a really good point uh, we uh, we actually have a presentation that we gave at uh, microsoft management summit uh, it's available on our website under the presentations. Uh, it's, uh, our website is www.resonet.com, that's R-E-S-O hyphen N-E-T uh, And the presentation is all about how you build and manage uh, testing environments. So we use a five-stage testing environment so that when people put in technologies in place, they, they run through each one of these different stages so that um, they will, by the time they get to production, there's nothing wrong with any of the technology that they're deploying. This uh, saves uh, 80% of support calls for all of our customers. So that's all described. But, you know, those test environments can be as simple as a laptop computer with 4 gigs of RAM and an external hard disk drive. Uh, It's really not complicated to build these test environments. Uh, 4 gigs of RAM on a laptop should allow you to run... If you're running Windows Server 2008, you need 512 megabytes of RAM for each virtual machine, so that means you could run up to 5, 6, 7, 8, uh, well, not 8, 7 uh, different virtual machines at the same time. You still need to reserve a little bit of physical memory for the the base operating system that's running the virtualization layer, but uh, that's, that's extremely powerful, I mean, uh, you can do a lot of things with five machines. And if you're running Windows Server 2003, you can cut it down. We've actually had Windows Server 2003 virtual machines running with 92 megabytes of RAM. Uh, that's that's pretty low <laughs> low memory requirement. So, well,
0: especially uh, when we you can put so many gigs games. of RAM in a typical machine these days. Guys, we're well, just about out of time here. Any final words before we wrap up? Well, virtualization
2: is definitely the best thing for people to look at.
3: And we're uh, giving a course in uh, Las Vegas at uh, Interop on the virtualization, a one-day course. Uh, we'll do that in uh, Las Vegas and New York this year. So, uh.
2: Yeah, that's true. That's at the end of April. And that'll be the basis for our next book, which is going to be uh, about how to use Microsoft virtualization technologies to green your data center.
0: Cool. Home.
1: Terrific.
2: Appreciate the opportunity. Thank you, thank, thank you very much. Thank you
3: very much.
0: Nelson and Danielle, thank you so much for coming on the show. And we'll talk to you next week on Run As Radio.